Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm Stacey Martin, and I am glad you're here. It is the Sunday after the Super Bowl, and I am joined by my friend, Nick Dusenberry. Now, Nick has been on staff at Forest Hill for... Uh, 17 years. 17 years, which is crazy because you're only 24. (laughs) That's right. That's right. What a shock. They start them young here. Very Very young. young. Very young. Nick is our director of finance, but Mm -hmm. you have had a crazy career in ministry. Everything Mm -hmm. from youth ministry, well, really, youth ministry was where you got started. That's right. Yeah, I was a middle school youth. I did uh, uh, public accounting for three years out of school, and then middle school youth pastoring for four years, high school here in Charlotte for four and then 13 years as the director of finance. So and you're an ordained pastor. Yeah, that's and right. And he's an ordained pastor. Like that's right. I, That is about the craziest mix of human attributes there you known go. to man. And love doing taxes on the side. So there's just two sides of my brain that need to get met at some yeah. point. So. Well, that's why I'm so excited that you're our guest here because mm. um, today's message is about generosity. Yep. And what I think is so interesting about generosity is that a lot of times it gets co-opted to only be about finances, mm-hmm. um, which is perfect for you to talk about generosity but what's Mm -hmm. also perfect for you to talk about is that we looked at generosity from a spiritual lens Mm -hmm. and you um you have done such a good job over your career of simplifying finances simplifying generosity but Mm -hmm. also speaking to people's hearts in a way that is understandable in a way and i think that comes from your middle school background yeah totally talking to teenagers all the time and you know you learn a ton from teenagers too it's not like it's a one-way street but um it helps just to be able to how can i break this down for a seventh grader well good because you're going to feel like you're talking to a seventh grader today (laughs) i like to bring you know i like to lower lower the expectations explain it to me like i'm five years old because that's about as much as i can uh, take in today i need that too so you are married and have two yes. sweet children. Two sweet kiddos. You got it. So Nathan uh, and Emsley. Nathan and Emsley. Emsley is turned four and a half today. This was her four and a half birthday. Um, and then Nathan um, is two and a half. He turned two and a half the first of January. So, yeah. Well, one of my favorite things about Nathan and this mm-hmm. story with you guys, you adopted Nathan from China That's last right. year. Yep. Um, so I've talked to our listeners a couple times of how I do my, my prayer list and that, mm. I, you know, I write down these. I write down different people's names or different things that come up, and I really like to go back and write AP next to things that are answered prayers. That's right. And it's it for That's me, huge. it's like this sacred art of remembering. Yeah. Well, you came. I was in a meeting one time last summer, and you mm-hmm. just happened to stop by, and you guys were trying to arrange China travel plans. That's right. Yeah. You weren't sure the way it worked. It's like you, it mm-hmm. could be any moment. Mm-hmm. But because of different things with visas, mm-hmm. it, it was a tight turnaround. There was just a lot that hung on getting the travel exactly right. That's right. As an ordained pastor, um, you have to go through different stipulations, and you're, you're usually your time frame is super tight because they just want you in the country long enough to do there what you came to do, to do what you came to do, you know, yeah. and then come back. So. so you knew that your wife could be there a little bit longer, but you had a very short window. That's Once right. you applied for your visa, like mm-hmm. it had to happen. Yeah. So you came in with a very specific prayer request. And I was That's like, right. you got it. I'm praying <laughs> that. And within 24 hours, yeah, you had a praise that. report. You came back, you're That's like, right. it's, we're approved. We're going. It's yeah. set. I'm going to be able to be there the That's whole crazy. time. Yeah. We, yeah. we were both there the whole time. It just took 18 days was the whole trip. But um, they were 18 amazing days, and they have changed our lives. So, yeah, um, so and he's, exciting. He's awesome. He's a great kid. Well, I when I look at Nathan, I actually see answered prayers because I got yep. to be a part of one of the very small pieces of how his adoption process well, we works. We are so. grateful. That prayer was heard and 
answered in that way, and um, we had a lot of people praying for us and felt that when we were there too. Mm, sweet China's little a nugget. great, a great country. He's <laughs> a sweet little nugget. That's <laughs> sweet right. Sweet little nugget. That's right. I don't know how that translates <laughs> to Chinese, but I'm okay if that I'll try never to, gets translated to Mandarin. I'll try to make that his new nickname. <laughs> little nugget. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, we're talking about generosity in this series, mm-hmm. and this was this was such a good message for me. I don't. Yeah. I, I needed to hear it, not just because of what it means for financial generosity, but just. It was a recalibration, I think, of what mm. generosity means. Yeah. Jason started off with this quiz where he said, mm. okay, everybody, I'm going to give you three scenarios. Yeah. Tell me if this is generous or not. The first one was getting rid of some extra stuff you have and taking it to Goodwill. Yeah. Generous? I, I, my hand was like creeping up. Right. Like I was. Yeah. didn't want to be the first one to raise my hand, but I was feeling like, oh, yeah, Goodwill, generosity. Yeah. The second one was a teenager who was fundraising in order to get her name on a commemorative brick mm-hmm. at her school. Yep. And then the third was a professor who was obligated to have office hours yeah. and met with a student. And the student That's was right. like, thank you so much for your generosity. And he's like, he's like I, hey, I got to be here. Yeah, yeah I got to be right. here. <laughs> Why kind is... Kind of deflating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, oh, you're <laughs> not right. quite as generous as um, I thought you you're were. You're welcome. <laughs> Why is generosity so complicated? Why is it hard for us to truly grasp what is generous? Yeah, I love how he gave those examples because it wasn't, they weren't slam dunks. And it really opened the idea to like, this is way more complicated than it looks. You can't judge it from the outside. This is an inside dialogue that you have with God. And I think what Jason alluded to when he got through those examples is like, you are, this is a journey. You're never done. This isn't something you check off the box. Um, And, uh, regardless of where you're at, um, you always have further to go in that journey. So with Nathan, he's learning to share. So, uh, you know, we, we don't know too much about the environment he grew up in in China, but so he's at this point now where he will, uh, he'll have something and Emsley would like it. And so we've taught Emsley, okay, go over and ask for it. And we say, Nathan, can you share? And he's doing great. He will take the thing, it's a dinosaur or whatever, and he'll give it to her. And she says, thank you. And he immediately bursts into tears. <laughs> Generosity like, hurts so good. Like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. You know, and, and I, some, he's my spirit animal. The, I feel that right. way in my walk with God so yeah, very often. It's so, it's every time, you know, like, and it's, it's, but it's a road he's on before sure. he wouldn't share, you know, and so, but, you know, to, to be able to judge the motives of the heart, only God can do that. And that's why we're on this, this journey with God. And so the idea is, what he said, what I remember Jason said was like, you will never be done with this. You will never be, you will never be done with generosity. You always have room to grow. Mm-hmm. So even somebody who gives away 90% of their income um, and maybe not as much of their time, they've got room to grow in the time they give away. So, so, so that's, that's the, I think that's the hard part where it is to judge someone else's generosity or even judge your own sometimes. We have to, we have, to have this ongoing conversation with God. Well, Jason defined generosity as a lifestyle of doing good to others because of the good that's been done to us. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And, and a lot of times in the church world, we'll talk about living a generous life as a life of overflow. Right. You know, that's almost become like a church phrase, like, oh, we live lives of overflow. Right. What, what does that actually mean? Well, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. It sounds so, like our plumbing is broken. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, I think it's all in, in the phraseology that you use. We want to do good because good has been done to us. I think a lot of times we, um, like everything else in life, we study for a test, we get a B plus on the test. We, we mow the lawn, we see that the lawn is now different, all that stuff. We do stuff and then we get stuff in return. 
So I think sometimes we can get trapped in the same mindset with God that it's a quid pro quo. Mm. If I'm generous, I'm expecting you to take care of me. Um, that That is a little more of a scarcity mentality, a little more of like we are making demands on God. God has already given us everything that we could want. So instead of asking for, hey, God owes me something and God owes me something, when we can realize actually we give because it's already been given to us and everything's already been given to us. So instead of wanting anything, we know we've already been given everything. So an overflow means we say, God, I want to do this not to get something in return from you. What could I possibly get in return? You've already given me everything that I need, mm-hmm. you know? And so that when we when we take that attitude, it changes our whole mindset on I would be generous, but what if I don't have enough one day? Or I would give my time, but what if I don't have time to do this or whatever? So having that overflow just means my needs have been taken care of more than I ever could have asked for or imagined. On a theological, physical, emotional level, I now have all this to give away, you know, because I know God's going to take care of me, that he's doing that first. He made the move toward us first, not, oh, he came to us once he saw we were doing good. Like that's, that's the message of the gospel too. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, you know, Mm. so. This weekend, um, Mike and I took our boys to the Toby Mac concert. Yes, you did. And oh, it was good for you. Oh, it was so fun. My boys are all about it. And what was so interesting, if anybody has been following Toby Mac in the news, Toby Mac lost his 21-year-old son in October to a drug overdose. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that he's been back on tour. They took the month of January off, but this was the third show since he's lost his son. I cannot imagine. So he did this very public, he started the show basically saying like, hey, here's where we are. This is the pain that we've been feeling. It's been really hard. But, and then he talked about the gospel. He Mm -hmm. said his son, even though his son had made some life choices yeah. that ended up, you know, taking him from this earth. He knew that his son had a living relationship with Jesus. That's right. And so he said, and this just like, this was such a gut check for me, but really taps into this life. Toby mm-hmm. was like, I want to tell you the gospel. I want you to make this decision to have a relationship with Jesus because God gave his firstborn son so that I would see my firstborn son again. Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, doesn't that just like, I'm I like wept. Done wept yeah oh, I yeah. mean my kids looked yeah. at me like what is happening but <laughs> I, but the idea that he now lives he, I th- feel like he's somebody as a public performer has mm-hmm. always lived this life of overflow that's right but now he feels he's like I get that God has provided everything I need at mm-hmm. this moment the scarcity that I feel is not having my son mm-hmm. but I know that what God has given me already mm-hmm. in the death of his firstborn son is mm-hmm. providing me this hope that I need right to, to live another day. That you couldn't get from anywhere else. Could not you know, get from anywhere else. Despite all your attempts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing? I thought about that. I've been thinking about that all weekend, yeah. that statement. I can't imagine what it's like to let your kids go into the world. Like I have, you know, thoughts about that and worries about that already. They're 13 and a half years from doing that. But um, to also just come back to God and, and lean into God at a place where you could just shake your fist at God and walk away um, mm-hmm. is amazing. It's so that, amazing. Is, that is a life of overflow. Well, and you mentioned a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go, I think when people go through anything, whether it's the loss of somebody or the loss of a job or just financial insecurity, we do get this, um, this scarcity mindset, you know, where it's like, I'm never going to have enough. Mm-hmm. And you read it in scripture that God says that you that we can be a slave to money, you yeah. know, that you can't serve two masters. That's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are a slave to money. Mm-hmm. When you think about 
or really a slave to anything that we feel like we're not going to have enough of. Right. Whether it's time, whether it's resources or energy, like we become mm-hmm. slaves to that. Yeah. Why is it that scripture says you can't, um, you can't serve, serve two God. masters? Yeah. It's, inter- it's so interesting because Jesus said that, and you'd think that Jesus could have his pick of God's competitors, Satan, for instance. Uh, yeah, you know? I mean. But he picked money, which is crazy. So I, I – you know, meeting with people, talking with them about generosity or just their personal finances and how they feel about giving and stuff, the more I do that and the more I try to encounter that in my own life, um, I think it's because money is this other continuum. We talked about how generosity, like you're never done. There's always room to grow. So money is this main competitor to God because it's almost the same way. You're never really done. You always feel like a little bit more would help you. I've heard stories of people sitting down with billionaires for lunch and just the whole time, the people who had billions of dollars were talking about how they were worried about the global economy and the stock market and what if this happens? And they're like, dude, you have billions of dollars like, and you're worried about this stuff? So there's this never ending pursuit. Like you almost have a choice. You either go on this lifelong relationship with God for generosity and believing and trusting and trying to live this life of overflow, or you're going after this scarcity mentality of like, I've got to make sure I have enough. And what we've learned in meeting with and talking with all these people is that it's never enough. Like it is this black hole of just pursuing and you never get to where you want to go. Now that's true sometimes of God. We're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but all the things that come with that pursuit actually end up giving you what you need. So it's why Jesus says later on in Matthew, he says, you know, seek first. Like he says, God takes care of all these things, the birds and the birds, the the flowers in the field. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus even gives us a hint of like, hey, if you've got to choose the scarcity, the abundance mentality, both are going to be a lifelong road. But I'll give you a hint. This one actually gets you everything you need as well, so you don't have to worry about the scarcity stuff. So uh, it's just it's just been interesting because you just find people who you know go after the money thing, but um, spend their whole lives and then never get there. Well, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians especially, will look at that word abundance mm-hmm. and think it means financial. That's right. That like so you know you hear some of these televangelists that say so a seed to your need you yeah. know give us two hundred and fifty dollars and we will multiply that That's by, or right. God excuse me will quote unquote multiply that by ten. Right. I think we're trying that next week. Uh, are we? No, <laughs> no, not, no, not no at way. all. No way. Um, but it is funny to think about that we co-opt abundance mm-hmm. with abundance of material things when what right. God is saying like my economy is flipped on its head. Yeah, that's like, right. I'm going to give you abundance, mm-hmm. but it's going to be abundance of the fruits of the spirit. You know, hope, peace, right. joy. When we see that abundance, we have to ask ourselves, whose definition of abundance are we going by? And what are we trying to do to co-opt God and be like, hey, I don't think you have this quite right. I'm supposed to be in a 4,000 square foot home and not a 2,000 square foot home. So let me help a little bit by getting three side jobs and never seeing my kids. And you're like, whoa, this is not like the life of abundance is like, God, thank you for all that you've already given me. And I love that I get to provide for my kids in an 800 square foot apartment. And we're just going to do this life together. And I'm going to lean on you and depend on you. Like, like scripture talks about, like that is the sweet spot. The Proverbs are all about this idea of dependence on God, even on a daily basis. There's a proverb that says, God, don't give me so little that I have to steal bread from my family, but don't give me so much that I forget about you. Mm. And there's just this sweet spot in the middle where we go like, 
woe is us if we provide for ourselves to the extent that we feel like we don't need God, yeah. you know, and, and that, that we forget about him. God wants us to be on that, that line with him every day. Well, what I loved about this message in generosity is that it was really about changing our mindset around mm -hmm. motivation or mindset yeah. and motivation around right. generosity that, like you said, we get so, um, focused on our own definitions of either abundance or scarcity or what we can give and what we can't. And Jason was like, no, if you look at this verse mm -hmm. in, um, was it second Corinthians that we're mm -hmm. in? Yeah. Um, that if you look chapter at this, nine, yeah, think, chapter, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. if you look at this, it's not about, it's not about rules or a definition other than it's a mindset of looking at everything that we have as a gift from God. That's right. And we have the joy of giving it all back to him. Yep. Like that's a mindset shift. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yep. one of the things that, one of the examples that Jason gave, I thought mm -hmm. was so powerful, and I was actually just talking to somebody um, downstairs about this example, something that I've thought about all weekend. But Jason's stepdad just recently mm -hmm. had a stroke, and uh, Jason went to go visit him in the rehabilitation mm -hmm. um, center. And one of the side effects, or one, something that happened with the stroke, is that yeah. his hand, like you see the strokes, his hand is now balled into a fist. Yeah. And so the doctors were saying every time that, you know, they came in or the nurses, they say, you mm -hmm. need to stretch out his hand, yeah. massage his fingers open, mm -hmm. you know, stretch him out, massage him, remind those muscles what it feels like to be open handed, Such a good example. to relearn it. Yep. And that's what generosity is. Mm -hmm. It's this open handedness with everything that God has given us. That's right. But it takes some work. It, that's it right. takes an <laughs> exercise, an exercise like stretching and unfurling your fingers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jason said that in scripture, you see three of these exercises mm -hmm. um, that God has given us to help us loosen our clenched fists. Mm -hmm. And that three of them were the tithe, are the tithe, mm -hmm. um, the Sabbath, mm -hmm. and gleanings. That's right. And so the Sabbath was one or is mm -hmm. one day of rest yeah. a week. That's right. That God has instituted really from the beginning of time. If you even look at the creation yeah. story. Yeah, that's part of His rhythm, of His of His creation. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I didn't quite realize about the Sabbath, the connection between the Sabbath and generosity, mm -hmm. is that in an agricultural society. If you didn't harvest every single day, you didn't eat. Mm -hmm. Like if you weren't in the fields harvesting or working your land or getting what you need, you didn't eat. Right. So if you took a break, yep. that meant that you were having to trust God to provide you with that what you needed that day. That's right. So yep. what is it? How can we? How can we take that same example of Sabbath into our own lives and connect it to generosity? Yeah. So, and I think that you've already hit on so much of it. I mean, it is it is a trust in God that He's going to provide the the people who were the Israelites who were in Egypt, enslaved in Egypt. Their ancestors, when they were in the desert, going going um, walking around the desert, God said, I'm, "I've got you. I'm going to give you manna from heaven, bread that falls on the ground." And on the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to give you twice as much. Um, and that they they could go out and harvest, they'd have twice as much so that they could take this this day of rest. So there is, I mean, it is just uniform through Scripture that God designed the Sabbath as a reset for us, mm -hmm. as a way to be able to say, I've had six days of going crazy, of working hard, of trying to provide, and all these other things. Um, and and we need that day of reset to remind ourselves where this where the ability to work comes from, where all of our 
possessions have come from, this idea to focus on worship and family and rest and just say, okay, I'm ready to jump back in again on Monday. Um, you know, or you, Sabbath doesn't have to be a Sunday. It could be a Saturday. Or it could be a different day. But um, that one day a week rhythm to say, let me, and I, our family views it as a reset. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we try to do very few chores. We just spend time with each other. It might be playing. It might be going outside. We go to church. We like to cook a big breakfast on Sunday morning. Um, so, you know, creme brulee, French toast, whatever. Come on over. Oh like we, we set some time aside to, to do it right. But it's a fun, it's a day we look forward to because we know, okay, this is a different rhythm, a different day, and it's a reset for us. Well, even in your example that you were talking about, the person who feels like they've got to work a second and third job mm-hmm. to have more financially, and then they never get to spend that time with their family. I even right. look at that as like a Sabbath to say, don't work that extra job. Like, Trust that God's going to provide That's and right. instead pour that energy into something that has eternal value. That's right. We, we, have to, we have to look at what does getting ahead look like, you know, because it, that could be the reasoning behind that second, third job is I want to get ahead. I want to move my family forward. I want them to go to the best schools. We want to live in the best house and have the best car and all that kind of stuff. As opposed to saying getting ahead might actually look like a closer relationship with Jesus. And mm-hmm. one of the, you, you can't, like we talked about before, God and money who are you going to serve? Like you've got to pick one and make that your primary focus. Mm -hmm. Um, So when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, all these things doesn't mean our definition of all these things, you know, a mansion and a helicopter and a private jet and a private yacht, like all the things I hope to get one day. Yes, just mm-hmm. kidding. I'm, In the sake of it's minute. a lot of maintenance. <laughs> yeah. I don't need that. Um, but, ain't but, nobody got time to ain't nobody. Yeah, you know, that's right. <laughs> Kids, sit down in the private yacht. Um, so, but it means that, that all these things, the things we need, God's, God's got us. He's going to take care of us. And that life of abundance we discover when we pursue God with that daily dependence, having a Sabbath integrated, resetting every week. Resetting every week also gives us the reminder, like when I go to work on Monday, I'm more apt to be more generous with my time, be more generous with my emotions, with my listening. If I've had a reset, if I'm stressed all the time, I'm like, no, 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 you're out of my office, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. I gotta get ahead, I gotta keep going. When I've had a reset uh, over that weekend, let's say, um, I come in, ready to minister to people. And that could, doesn't, just not just work at a church. That's anywhere. I've done public accounting, you know, in DC in a high pressure environment. And it's very different when you can walk in ready to do your work, but minister to your coworkers. Um, Man, you need that reset to be able to do that. That's good. Yeah, so. Well, the other example he talked about was gleanings. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea of gleanings, partly because it's from the Old Testament. And I think for a lot of us in the Old Testament, we feel like it's historical, but it doesn't really have any Mm. life applications. Yeah, yeah. Like I can look back on it and it's, it's not as warm and fuzzy as the New Testament. And I'm like, oh, gleanings, that's great. Yeah, right. So gleanings are yeah. when you harvest your field, mm-hmm. you don't harvest the border. That's right. And you mm-hmm. leave what's on the border for the poor. Yep. So you can look at it like gleanings. That's great. I live on a postage stamp. Yeah, Nobody right. is harvesting my Bermuda. <laughs> like this great. That, but this yeah. doesn't really apply to me. But mm-hmm. I think it does, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a, there, um, it's, it's difficult in a non agricultural society to figure out how to make something like that apply um, to to our lives. But there's lots of ways. I think some people like to do that with organizations that will take extra food that's left over at restaurants and kind of distribute that mm. to the poor. But the interesting thing about gleanings in the Old Testament is that um, God set it up as a way. So when people who owned land 
did their gleanings. They didn't leave the gleanings and then harvest the gleanings and then like physically give them to the poor. It was a way to invite the poor in to say, if you want to come and, and harvest the wheat that's at the edge of my field, you can come do that. So what it did is it brought dignity to the people who were maybe outcast or underprivileged or just not in the safest in the margins, place. That's yeah. right, absolutely. So how do we apply that today? Um, and there's there it it's maybe it's harder to look at it day to day. I think there's lots of things we can do day to day when it comes to our giving or you know what we do with food or what we volunteer for and all that. But there are organizations out there that will um, make sure they're doing their part to give the person who maybe has a history with drug addiction or a history with homelessness to give them a chance of employment, um, helping them work. So you look at maybe what Goodwill does sometimes, like you know, as far as the people they take to work, um, or different restaurants that pop up that say we want to use people who have had a rough history and give them a chance at employment. Mm-hmm. That if you're a, an owner of an organization or a boss and you hire people, that's something to think about. I mean, I, I know it, it might mean you change the way you work a little bit, but that is a great modern example mm-hmm. of how to do gleanings if God's put you in a position like that, is what kind of chances are we giving the marginalized or the poor? Are we judging them on their past or their inability that they've expressed in the past? Or are we giving them a shot at regaining dignity and restoring our community by inviting them back in to be able to provide for themselves? Well, we talk so much Forest Hill about being bridge builders mm-hmm. and what that tells me is that it's about the relationship mm-hmm. that gleanings in this and the context that you're talking about is that it's not just a, a handout right it's this idea that we want to build a bridge to another person relationally through Jesus first that enables them to experience the life that God has for them. That's right. So this could be generosity of time is the biggest one. I mean, you know, not just with our neighbors, maybe people who might look like us a little bit, but who is marginalized, who we know, or maybe walk by every day. And yeah, it's one thing to share with them some of our lunch. And I think that's awesome. But man, the dignity of sitting down with them, the dignity of getting to know their name and remembering it the next time you see them, all these things are pieces of putting back together a broken society, a broken community. You can help rebuild that community by giving these gleanings of your own time and your resources and stuff. And there's different levels of of that depending on what God has enabled you to do. Like if you're in a place where you can hire people, that's another way to do it. See, y'all, we don't need to be afraid of the Old Testament. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It really does make sense, you guys. Don't be afraid of the first half of the Bible. (laughs) Don't be afraid of it. Well, one of the things that I love about having you on here, and we alluded to this earlier, is that, one, you have little children, Mm -hmm. but you've also spent your career really pouring into younger people, specifically Mm. middle schoolers, high schoolers, and now those kids are growing up Mm. and getting older. I mean, you just, you are known for somebody who just pours into other people. I mean, really, I I like that about you. Yeah, I like that about you. Um, So one of the things that I was really thinking about is how do we teach this idea of open-handedness to our kids Yeah. or to a younger generation? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you you hear there's people like Dave Ramsey who has financial peace, and there's a lot of things, but how do you, how would you suggest at a young age that we start teaching our kids about living open-handedly? Yeah, so your example and Jason's example earlier of the open-handedness, the thing about open hand is that it both is set up to receive but also to pour through you know if you have an open hand anything you're pouring into this that has any sort of small pieces or liquid at all is going to pour right through but you're receiving it and then giving it through giving away when your hand is clenched you can neither receive nor give anything because nothing's getting in there and nothing's coming out of there when your fist is clenched so how do we teach kids 
to begin to live like this. And I'm still experiencing that. I mean, I have lots of theories and stuff, but you know, when you have your own kids, you're like, okay, now it's rubber meets the road. So how we do this. So the first thing we try to do at our house is we try to be really careful of the possessives. What's mine? Mm-hmm. What is what's ours we try to talk a lot about thankfulness where did this where did this toy really come from like who who gave daddy or mommy the ability to go out and earn the money that got this toy that was god like god actually provided this Mm -hmm. for us so so that's why we want to share without bursting into tears you know although you know it's the first step to give it away that's right but um i i think it really for kids it comes back to thankfulness being thankful for what they have you have to fight against that going through the store and picking out all the things that they want to have. You know, Emsley was yesterday, was saw one of those blue used car guys, the ones that <laughs> flop around everywhere and stuff. And she's like, oh, when can we have one of those? I'm like, we're not, we're not turning our driveway into a used car lot. Yes. And the HOA yeah, has strong a, feelings a about few, those, Emsley. Even if they had weak feelings, that wouldn't fly. <laughs> so, um, but the point, you know, just what are we doing to teach our kids, man, to be thankful for what these things, how do we handle Christmas? How do we handle gifts that they get from relatives? How do we handle just the toys that they have? whether any of it's really theirs or not. Um, So little things like that, ways to engender thankfulness into our kids, I think is the first step for them to realize that the hand should be open because we receive from God, Mm -hmm. not closed because it's mine and no one's going to have it. So they'll learn more about the giving away piece. Um, We we start to go through some of our stuff sometimes with our kids and say, hey, do you want to keep this? Are you ready to give it to another kiddo? Um, And, you know, I think every kid is a little different, but so far Emsley has been pretty, you know, half the time she'll say, I'm ready to give it to another kiddo. And we're like, she may not understand what she's saying. And she may ask for that book a week later. And we're like, hey, sorry, you gave it to another kid. That's right. But um, but it's it's just kind of those little pieces of starting there. But I think if it were going to come down to one thing, it would be thankfulness. I think that's good. Just normalizing the conversation Mm -hmm. of God, we thank you for all these things and not just god we you know we we do it at dinner time dear lord thank you for this food that's right but let's step back it's more than that it's everything you got it so so normalizing that's really that's right and there's lots lots i mean i'm sure there's tons of parents out there who do it way better than us but lots of ideas are out there on different blogs and things like that things you do we take our christmas card wall and when the christmas season is done we start putting up little cards of stuff that we're thankful for. It might be our stuffed bear, it might be the minivan, it might be whatever, but um, they can see, it's a visual reminder to them, not just a, not just a verbal, although verbal's big too, but what are different ways their senses can pick up thankfulness um, around good. our house? So just, just, I mean, we got that idea from someone else, it's not our own idea, and there's idea. lots of other ideas out there, but for kids, I think it, it comes well, down to that. We cover our laundry room door with our Christmas cards, and yeah. that's such a neat idea of taking that and then turning into thankfulness we struggle well i've got one kid who finds it very easy to be thankful he just loves all the things and all the people that's right i have another one that will be thankful for life once he has made it to the nfl and has a lamborghini and so (laughs) sounds like a yankees fan to me oh well said by said you know by an orioles fan (laughs) yeah that's you know that's right yes yeah and that is michael he loves his life but his life will really be good Mm, once he's in the nfl and has a lamborghini or two or three yes that's right which 
is shocking to me <laughs> considering, you know, like how little, you know, he doesn't get everything he wants, all the things. And how old's Michael? He's eight. That's right. Yeah, of course. There you oh, go. yeah. I mean, and so it's all the things. And so yeah. we try. John can just, he can, he has, he is just thankful. He just loves life. That's, that's Michael so loves God and is thankful for a lot mm -hmm. of things, but he's really waiting. That's right. Really waiting. So we're, that's yeah. going to be a good example. Yeah. And we need to sit Michael down with an NFL player with three Lamborghinis and be like, are you there? Are you, Are you there happy? yet? Are you done yet? And then they're going to they're going to say something different. You know, they're going to say, like, well, I'm, you know, I'm almost there, but a little bit more, you know, like we We've talked about We've been trying before. to have lunch with Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> I've been tagging him on Instagram posts. We Michael, one of his uh, writing assignments at the beginning of second grade, he wrote this whole paragraph that if Christian McCaffrey could come over for lunch, we would serve him chicken, hamburgers and salad. And we would talk about Christian McCaffrey to Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, he loves how Jesus. How can you turn that like, down? What can, a great afternoon. I can't believe he hasn't yeah. responded. He hasn't <laughs> RSVP'd. But yeah, it's just so funny to think about. I'm like, we're going to have to work on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we we got to keep what like Jason was saying. You know, we are never we're never done with it. There's always room for us to grow. There's room for our kids to grow. Room for us to grow. But we do it together. We do it in family. We do it in community. We inspire that generosity in one another. We take small steps away as a community from the God of money. You know, to would do you that. say that even that idea of thankfulness is the way we as adults like our first step in changing our motivation around generosity? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's where like something like the Sabbath can come back in to be like, let me zoom out from my life for a second and not make this about the nine to five and getting the kids to bed and getting everyone washed and, and, you know, binge watching something on Netflix and stuff. But let me zoom out and take a look at my life and just see what's going on. And let me try to remember some of these spiritual disciplines that God wants me to incorporate, not just on Sabbath, but every day. And I think that's a great thing to think about thankfulness wise um we we classic lesson in student ministry kids are only going to be half as excited about something as you are so if you are not psyched about it they will pick up on it and they will definitely not be psyched about it so there's a piece of that that carries i think into parenthood to say your kids might your kids might be deceived a little while if you're faking thankfulness, but you really need to own it if you're really going to try your best to pass it on to our kids. Kids are going to have their own decisions in their own hearts, and there's only so much we can do about that, like the Toby Mac story. Mm -hmm. But um, but we've we've got to model that for our kids, and in order to model that, we've got to really talk about it with God. Part of our ongoing generosity, thankfulness conversation with God, and the best part is our kids will glean that from us. They'll see that in us. Whether we make a big deal about it or not, they'll see it in our attitude, how we talk about our things, how we talk to others about our things, all that. Mm, so. I love that. Well, how do we know if our motivations are right? And the reason I asked this, when Jason was talking about it, I don't know if you watched Friends at all, but there is this episode on Friends where Phoebe and Joey are trying to come up with the one altruistic deed to do. <laughs> right. Like the one thing that is not motivated by yeah. it. Like it is purely altruistic. It is purely for the good of people. And they really have a hard time. And all I could think about was I started giggling in church thinking about <laughs> Phoebe and Joey. That's but right. how do we know if our motivation for generosity is in the right place? Yeah, that's as as the Friends episode kind of reveals, it's really hard. It's it's totally hard to know. So Jesus actually talked about that a little bit when he talked in the same kind of passage in Matthew about giving to the poor. He said, Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And you're kind of like, wait, wait, what? Like, let me dig into that a little bit. And it was it, Jesus also in the same passage talks about when you're praying, don't be doing it, you know, out loud in front of a lot of people to draw attention to yourself. And I think what Jesus is really after there is the drawing attention to yourself piece. Uh, the question, I think you could phrase the question in one way of saying, 
would I be doing this if no one were looking and no one ever knew about it? Um, if there were no accolades, there were no tax statements I was going to get at the end of the year, there was no chance that some CEO was going to call me and thank me for giving or whatever, would I still be doing this? Mm. Is, is one way. It's super hard, even with ourselves. I think we can deceive ourselves in what our motives are. Um, when we get used to um, the idea of like what accolades we could get from giving and all that. But um, I, I think that's one litmus test is if everything else were wiped away, if my wife didn't know I was giving this, if my kids didn't know, um, would I still be doing this? Um, if no one else was in church when they passed the bucket, if nobody else was at Salvation Army when I dropped off my donation and I didn't get a tax receipt and all that stuff, would I still be, would I still be doing this? Is, is one one way, but I know there's got to be other methods to kind of well, try to figure that I out. I think in this world where social media drives us so mm -hmm. much, and we are a society and a people, and I say this because I like words of affirmation are my love language, mm -hmm. that you want, there's something that feels so good about being affirmed in what you did. Right. And in social media, it's so much, like yeah. there's so much of, That's right. look at my selfie in front of Salvation Army. Yeah. I feel so great about this donation I oh, just did dropped you, off. Were you checking my Instagram last week? Yeah, this is actually oh, an intervention. I feel, I'm, yeah, I'm very, well, I'm you've very set sorry this that up I had well. to do this That's publicly, right. but that I probably deserve it. <laughs> Fine. A selfie you took. Yeah. A great filter, but yeah, bad right. message. But I think so much of us really are. We don't even realize it, but there is this internal motivation to be affirmed for what we're doing and what God affirms us. Absolutely, on our, that's we it. don't need anybody else's affirmation. That's it. Like we 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 don't want to go back to this idea that God owes us something. Hey, God, in case you didn't see me give this money to. Compassion International or whatever, support these three kids. Um, I'm doing that. So. I'd expect you to take care of my three kids because I'm supporting these three kids. And that's not, that's not, it's not a tit for tat type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's the quid pro quo thing. But we are, we know how much God has provided for us and he's already given us, like we said, you know, everything we need. So it doesn't go back to whether God owes you or not, but it is just this, we've already had all the accolades we need. Like, why do we need accolades? We, we don't, God already loves us more than he ever possibly, he can't love us anymore. And there's nothing we could do to make him love us any less. We've, We've arrived in that sense. He's you know? already told us we are inheriting the kingdom. That's like that's we, right. Yeah. So we don't we don't need anything else. So we give not so we can get more of more of God's kingdom or more pieces of that, but we give because we've already been given everything, you know. And that's our that's our thankfulness. So it kind of keeps going back to that idea. But it's hard to execute. Excuse me. It's hard to execute sometimes it is. in a world where you see all these people doing this stuff and you feel like, well, if I don't post an Instagram about how much I'm giving, Did maybe, I do people, it? <laughs> maybe people will think I won't give. And the idea there is like, don't get trapped in that. God knows, you know, and, and he's already given you so that you can give. So let the fame, let, let the fame take care of itself. If there's any to come from that, you mm -hmm. just, yeah, and that's, that's the piece that Jesus talks about. And when you're going to pray, go just be with your father and pray, like just, just live out this life with me. Let's have this conversation directly. Don't let others around you define whether you're generous or not. Let's you and I have an ongoing conversation. You're never done, you know. Oh, I give away 12% of my income. Well, God's like, okay, cool. W what are we going to do next year? You know, like, and not, not that it always has to be more, but just keep talking with your Heavenly Father about making your heart to be a generous one. And that's part of how you grow with God in relationship. That's so, so good. Well, lastly, what would you say to the person who's listening to this? And they're saying, this sounds great. I, I want this kind of life. Like, I, I want mm. to live this life of open-handedness. I'm tired of having my fist mm. clenched, but mm -hmm. I'm in a lot of debt. Mm. Yeah. I have a lot of credit card debt. I have a lot of school loans. Right. I 
already work two jobs and I'm a single parent. Like I don't have money or time or energy to give. What, where do I even start? What would you say to that person today? Tough luck. Just kidding. Um, I say you're actually the most pastoral person I've ever met in my entire life. It didn't sound very pastoral. I like swallowed my tongue when you said that. I thought, oh my gosh, y'all, something has happened to Nick. That's right. On air, bring the real Nick back. Um, No, I. I, First of all, that is that's a super difficult situation. Um, No one envies that position to be in. Um, I think one of the first things you can do with that, and I've got about twenty different sub points on that. So (laughs) write this down. Did you bring your Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, I've got a pen for you to write them down too. Um, So. So the, the first thing I think we need to understand is that debt is listed in a part of the Bible called the wisdom literature. It's just, it's the Psalms, it's the Proverbs. You ever go back and read kind of like, this is really good advice. Debt has its biggest kind of framework in there, and it's described as not living wisely. Like, mm-hmm. debt is unwise. And I make that distinction to say sometimes people can live feeling like being in debt is a sin. Mm-hmm. And you need to release yourself from that burden. It's not great to be in debt. Like I said, God really says, hey, this isn't a wise place to be, but don't feel like it separates the, from you, you from exactly. God. Exactly. That's the last wow. thing God would want you to do. Um, and that's why it's in, you know, kind of the wisdom literature. So sometimes people read that, you know. So I think that's helping so people good. understand that that's the case. And But, you know, you, you're not off the hook. You want to be out of debt. But what I would say is this journey of generosity that we're on is part of your growing in your relationship with God. So to someone who's heavily in debt, I would say, you know, all of the things that you want to try to do to get get mad at that debt, get rid of that debt, whatever that looks like. But um, even if it's just a small amount, or even if it's some for some people, they'd say, I really feel like I want to tie. That's the beginning of giving. And they're in debt. I actually say, okay, go for it, you know. But make, make or if somebody's just like, what if I just gave $25? I'd say, go for it, you know. Now you're in debt. We want to get out of that debt. Um, we don't want to ignore that. But to have a piece of your finances that's being given away is a way for you to say, I'm, I am, I am being generous. I'm trying to be faithful. It's like I the want first to give finger that gets that. Yeah, unclenched. exactly, exactly. And and then the motivation for getting out of debt are the rest of those fingers getting unclenched. Mm-hmm. You know, almost to say like, hey, yes, give a little bit, but let's let's really focus on that debt. Again, the motivation there being that so that when you're out of debt, you can be even more generous financially. But you don't want to you don't want to let let you don't want to wait on an opportunity to grow in generosity with God. So for someone who's heavily in debt, giving twenty dollars a week to some cause or a church or something they believe in can just feel like the biggest, like the hardest, most painful finger unclenching. And that's a great place to invite God into and say, God, I want to do this. I know, I know that this will help me. It will help your kingdom. It will help, it will help our relationship, but it's just hard. And what a great way to grow. Whereas for others of us, giving $20 is like nothing. So you want to give yourself the grace to be able to say, I know I'm not giving what I really want to give right now because I want to make sure I'm out of this debt. Because for some people, debt is just like this mental burden oh. that weighs them down. So it's that's why God wants you out of it. So you can't ignore it, but I wouldn't. I would make sure that you don't let it get in the way of growing in your relationship with God. And moving to a wiser place and getting out of debt is also a way to grow in your relationship with God. So so it's it's uh, it's a little bit. I will usually tell people it's okay to give some of your money away, especially if you feel like, hey, this is me growing and generosity but the main thing I'd say too is sit down with somebody and get a plan together for getting yourself out of debt and let the motivation be gosh when I'm done with this debt and I have these monthly payments that I was giving to credit card companies or student loans or whatever 
I can do other things with that now. I can give it away. Like I can change this community in these big ways. So mm. um, it's also big. So. I think you ha- will have set some people free today to think, especially to Love think that. that debt, I think a lot of people would think that debt separates them from God. Yep. So to hear you say, no, 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 it, it's not wise to stay in that place, but it doesn't right. separate you from God. And actually it can be a tool to move you closer to God in this sense. Like Absolutely. for you to say, God, I, this is, I know this is not the abundant life. Right. That you promised when you said if we stayed connected to G- if we were abiding in Jesus that we would, you know, experience abundance. I right. realize this isn't it, and I want that first and foremost. That's right, and that comes back to realizing God's going to give us all of our needs. So if there's somebody heavily in debt, sometimes it requires some big decisions about living in a different place, driving something different, going out to eat less number of times or whatever. Like those are hard things. That's all part of our fist on clenching, but. Do those things so you can be freed up to not just spend money on yourself or anything like that, but to be generous, you know, exactly. with that. So, but even, well, I do want to say, like, you, like Jason mentioned, the the five loaves and the two fish. Like, mm-hmm. even even a, a single mom with three kids who has student loans and credit card debt, who's like, I want to get out of this debt, but I know I want to experience at least some level of generosity, gives $20. God can take that $20 and do amazing things with it. That $20 could be a lunch that a a youth pastor takes a kid on where that student receives Christ. And, you know, I mean, all these pictures of how God can take that and multiply it, knowing that that person, this is what they had to give. They're giving out of even what they don't have to give, and they were Mm -hmm. still generous. So just to inspire those folks to say, take a little step ahead in generosity. Focus on the debt. When you're out of it, just keep growing in that generosity journey with God. It will never end, but it leads you to an amazing place. Mm. Thank you so much. Would you pray for our listeners? You got it. Um, Especially for those who are really desiring to live a generous life. Yeah, you got it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Father, um, thank you for today. Thank you for um, inviting us into this conversation with you about generosity. Um, We need that, God. We need it um, to be an ongoing one. Thank you for this journey. Thank you for what it does in our hearts. Um, And Lord, we know that we're here um, not not for us. Um, it's not about us. It's about you, and it's about the people around us who you've put us here to influence, to help, um, to help change, God. And so we thank you for that opportunity. Help generosity be part of what does that um, in our lives and in the lives of others. And God, may you help us rebuild and restore broken communities. May you help us build bridges to those who need to hear about you, who just need help. Um, who need food or who need clean water, um, who need to know that someone is caring for them. Um, Father, please use us to do that, and may you use the spirit of generosity of our time, of our treasure, of our talents, um, to bring that into other people's lives. And Father, may we do it simply because you've already given us everything that we need. We love you, God. We thank you again for a chance to have this conversation with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for joining us this week. We will see you next week. We are talking about conflict resolution, and Maria Brady is going to be joining us from Karen Counseling. It's going to be so good. So if you got you got issues with people in your life, come on to the podcast next week because we're going to dig in. She will help. She's good. She will help. That's this right. will again will be a private uh, personal counseling session that you guys can eavesdrop on. <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great week.